Hi, I'm Namusa. And I'm Adadana. And this is the Africana Podcast. Now I don't know why, what our words really are. It's okay. We'll make them up. We'll make them up. No one knows what we are saying. But it's right. When? Hey, baby. Hey. Long time. It's been a very long time. <laughs> like, too long, in fact. Oh, dear. We had such energy in our last podcast episode. And we had hopes and dreams for the future. Such vim and vigor. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, I know. And then the world went skirt, skirt. And now Mercury is in reggaeton, and... I've never heard that. That's such a good one. Well done. Um, but that also explains why we're doing a first on the podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So please. We are sipping that sweet, sweet nectar. Clink, clink. Gang, gang. Cheers. Hope you can hear that. Yeah. That was not a sound effect. This is us really literally drinking red wine. We're drinking the good red wine. This is the first time Maddie and I have ever drank on the podcast. Life has been rough, but there's also a lot to celebrate. We are not saying that you should lend yourself to drinking alcohol in moments of difficulty. No. In fact, that is my personal motto. Don't drink when you're feeling sad or upset. Yeah. We're not saying... People should do what they want to do, but I personally do not drink when I'm feeling sad or upset. Yeah, it, bad news bears. Mm-mm. Yeah. And 21 phone calls. I wasn't going to bring that up. Need I say more? I wasn't going to bring that up. But now that we're here, Namusa, what's happened since the last time we recorded? Which was... Besides seems everything. Like, yeah. Uh, I've lived many lives since the last time we recorded. <laughs> I can't. Um, one of the big things is that I was really, 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 really unwell. Um... To, yeah, I think the point where many people, including myself, thought that I was having a stroke. Um, I, in fact, was not having a stroke, mm-hmm. um, but had to travel to back to Toronto. Um, I had wonderful care, so I was in the hospital for a little bit in Nairobi, and then traveled back to Toronto to also get wonderful care from some really amazing neurologists. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I have a very, very, very rare form of migraines called hemiplegic migraines, which means, so most people, when you get a migraine, you like, you have a really bad headache or you'll get visual auras where you can't see. Those are like slightly more advanced and then they go away within like max 24 hours. The one that I had, I had numbness in the side of my hands, in the side of my face, I had nausea, I had vomiting, I had sensory stuff, uh, so I couldn't, like, noise and sound, or sorry, noise and sound the same thing, uh, <laughs> sound and light were really messing me up. Mm-hmm. So effectively, I could, like, move from my bed to the other side of my bed. Um, so I went back to Toronto to get kind of additional further medical care. I had, this is actually one of the highlights of this kind of very traumatic experience, was One, there aren't very many black neurologists in Canada, let alone in Toronto. Mm -hmm. There's even less black female neurologists, and even more so, even less black female young neurologists. Mm -hmm. I had the best, or one of the best neurology experiences I've ever had with a young woman of color. Shout out. I hope she listens to our podcast. Although she doesn't. Gang, gang. Um, I can now openly admit that I wanted to add her to Facebook, but that is definitely crossing doctor-patient confidentiality. I feel like that goes well against HIPAA. Yeah, but I really wanted to because she was so cool. And I was like, oh, you could be one of us. Mm. Except she's a neurologist. Yeah. And like <laughs> told me what was going on and put me on medication for the next six months to hopefully um, stop these crazy migraines that I had for six weeks that some people have for max 24 hours. 
So Guinness Book, if you're listening, Stop. I'm sure I could get in that now. No. For the number of phone calls and the number of weeks a migraine has lasted. I'm sorry. Yeah. 21 phone calls? It was probably worse than that. I know it was worse, actually. And 21, you know how I always say, like, if you're having a bad day, think of the 21 phone calls? Yeah. This is arguably the only thing in my life that has been worse than 21 phone calls, including cancer. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it was bad. But what I took from that is this, like, joie de vivre I have now. <laughs> Which, for English folk... Um, the Anglophone, can you... Uh... Yeah, just, like, joy in life. Yeah. Or joy of life. Joy of life, yeah. Um... So yeah, so I'm looking at life in very different ways than I think I used to, meaning I'm much more conscious of time. Um, I know that we all have to go out eventually, but how am I? I don't want to look back and be like, I should have worked more. Nobody ever says that. I feel like I should have worked more and made time for the things that I really wanted to make time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that just means in my day-to-day decisions, I'm making different choices. So I'm going to travel more this year. I'm going to invest more energy into this podcast. I am, yeah. I'm going to do things that make my heart happy because life is long, but life can also be very short. I always say the days are long, but life is short. That's a good one. I feel like that's an Amharic proverb. I know. Hewitt, short, (laughs) no. And long, nacho. (laughs) That was a very good... That should have been the proverb of the week, nacho. Actually, that... You know what? Stay tuned. Watch this space. <laughs> it might end up coming back. Um, so yeah, moral of the story, I'm really grateful. I had wonderful support. People stepped up in incredible ways. Um, I also did not think that I would be this sick ever again. Um, mm. But I'm grateful for access to quality healthcare. I'm grateful for supportive family and friends. And I'm just grateful to like get up and see another day and do the things that I want to do. Yeah. Um, and the privilege inherent in that as well. I can imagine waking up and not feeling half of your face is a very scary experience. Oh, it's terrifying. And then, because of me, I'm going through like all the indications of like, but I don't have any of these risk factors. I'm too young. How could I be having a stroke? Um, like WebMD is like telling oh, you all about your yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know when they talk about like people who, like patients who are, actually I would say I'm a pretty good patient, but modest, of course. Mm, um, always. But I did do all the research on what I could possibly have. WebMD is the worst. So now I can tell you a lot about neurology. I'm but sure. I would suggest first, don't email us. Go to a neurologist. Yeah. See a specialist. Yeah, for if sure. you're having numbness. Actually, go to the hospital right away if you're having numbness and any other associated symptoms. So I like to <sighs> just think it was like a call from above or from the universe being like, you need to get intentional about how you want to live your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. What about you? Since our last episode, you what know, has happened? I, I, I am doing well. Um, again, there was such vim and vigor and, and bombastic. <laughs> Sorry, not trying to make you. You can't do that while I just take a sip of the Sorry. sweet, sweet grape was... juice. Yes. Gang, gang. Turning water into wine. It uh, was just Easter. It was. Um, and another Easter is upon us, actually. Hey, hey. Um, you know, I have really, I have no complaints. It has been a very calm year. Say that again for the people in the back. Very calm year. Like, I think I alluded to this earlier. I just wanted to sit, and I have just sat. <laughs> like, I am, like, nothing is too up, nothing is too down. I wake up, you know what I mean? I go to work. Do your thing. Yeah, come back, maybe talk to someone, maybe watch Instagram. Chill. What more can somebody ask for? Like, I'm just, yeah, there's really nothing too, yeah, nothing is too up or too down. I'm just chilling. It feels really good. Mm. 
Um, you know what that is called? Growth. Peace. Oh, okay. Sorry. Same thing, though. Same, same, but different. Yeah. Um, I guess a big thing would be that the uh, the braces did come off. You can't. I'm just doing like the first reenactment of when I was like, the first thing I saw when I saw you when your braces came off was really? like, what? Uh, when you stare at somebody's face for a long time. I know. Weeks on. Weeks on end. Yeah. Minutes upon minutes. Yeah, and um, that's gone now, so now it's, you know. And so now you're brand freaking new. You know, the funny thing is, I don't, maybe you're catching me because, again, Mercury is in Gatorade, but. <laughs> I thought it was reggaeton. I just... <laughs> I got that from Michelle, actually. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, it came off, and the, I think because the, out, the appointment was almost three hours long, I Ooh, could not girl. be excited. I was like, just get me out of this chair. My face I'm is bleeding. I'm so tired. Um, but yeah, and then the weather kicked in, so I haven't really been able to decimate these hoes. But, um, soon, soon. Yeah, soon, soon. It Hose spelled. H-E-A-U-X-S for those. Ooh, back. I didn't know there was an S at the end. Well, you know, just okay. for... For the culture. Yeah. Um, what else? Had some pretty big work milestones. Yeah, you did. You better that, speak on it. That went well. We did our first workshop. About to do a second one. Um, yeah, man. It's been pretty chill. It's been good. No complaints. I really appreciate hearing that. And I hope that there's humor every day in your life. Oh, I, am, I laugh all the time. Good. At your uh, own jokes. Per usual. <laughs> I am my mother's daughter. That is what, exactly what she does. Um, but yeah, no, no complaints. I'm good. Chilling. Okay. What else you got? I've, there's just so much that's gone on. Like, I don't even know where to begin and end. Um, one of the bigger shifts in my life, I would say, is my, or one of my best friends and her husband moved away from Nairobi to Geneva. Oh. She's taking on a massive job. We all found out within like six days. Oh. Yeah. So it was like a really quick move, um, but she's somebody who has been in and out of Nairobi for a long time, but that's just like a different, you know, you, you, I'm used to having the people that I love close or the people in Nairobi that I love close. And um, so I think that's like, yeah, just transitioning into a new kind of like stage of our friendship, which is inevitable and like you root for people's happiness and she got a very big job in Geneva so I'm really proud of her um, and a lot of responsibility um, but yeah I think one of the big things and <clears throat> that I keep learning every time she leaves is that I have in quotes inherited many of things like my wood chest mm -hmm. that I'm going to bequeath to my children Wow, came from her uh, I also have a wedding dress in the corner I don't know if you can see that was her wedding dress. What? That she's gonna come pick up at a later point in time. You just get like items that belong to people, including alcohol from the commissary. That's, I would never say no to that. I am not saying no to that. No. How do you think we sustain this? Her. Um, but yeah, it's just like, I, I, it made me really take a step back and think about what do I, like when will I leave? And maybe I won't leave. And the thought of packing my life in a container is mortifying. Yeah, interesting. You know, I've had similar thoughts too as there's a few folks who are leaving Nairobi in the coming weeks mm. and months um, and as I approach three years and a half in Nairobi I was at six this weekend boo hey at Blankets and Wine there's a oh, wow. photo from a Kenyan photographer who it's my you can tell it's me because it's a bald head and sunglasses <laughs> and long dangly earrings uh -huh. um, and it's my silhouette six years wow how does that feel 
Feeling pretty brand new. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, well, there's multiple threads to this conversation, but yes. So coming up on three and a half years, I also finally got my alien card yesterday. That's a big deal. I know. That's like getting a work permit stamped in your passport. You know, know when you're like, take this national park ranger. Exactly. I'm only paying 10 like, shillings I instead wish, of 4,000. I wish you would charge me the Florida <laughs> rate, but you can't. <laughs> um... So yeah, just feeling all kinds of official, and then is it a good photo? Because nobody told me that they don't actually take your photo there. So my photo is toe up, and all of my other cards, I have very intentionally. I look great that day because I know it's going to be the next five years of my life. Yeah, in photographic form. I don't really care too much about my photos. It's an it's an okay photo. Like yeah, it's yeah. it's not it's neither here nor there. I look like this is what you put on BBC if I go missing. Kind of photo. But also my so I know your alien card. Your name is spelled wrong. Yes. And for me, my expiration date is July 2019 and it should be November. And I'm like, skirt, skirt. And then they, came, they gave, me, gave it to me with this letter saying, oh, we've checked and there should be no issues. There's no need for- There's a 100% going to be an like, issue. Um, so if you tell me that I go to the Mara in August, yeah, they're yeah. going to be like, oh yes, let me look at this flimsy sheet of paper no. that says like, all is well. No, no. Like, ah, uh-uh, I will keep this for the next few months. Please believe I need a new one that has the correct- It's not like, okay, if the expiration date was off by like a week or two, It'd be annoying. And ideally in your favor, the other way. I'd be okay with that. You can't chop off like five months of my residency and be like, oh, no, no, no. They were like, we're not sure about this one. There's no need for re-registration. I'm like, oh, yes, there is. (laughs) So it was just one of those random things. You heard my story though, right? Where my name is spelled wrong. Yes, that I know. And then the lady, bless her soul. I think she, we should have her, like the lead lady that everybody has to see when they go into immigration. Mm. Bless her soul. I don't know how she does it. But she is snarky, but funny. Oh. Yeah. Like, okay. she has this very serious face, like, why are you wasting my time? All the time, because I think she has to. I think you have to for that And job. then when, so I had seen her to pick up this paperwork, and then I go pick up the card and then come back to her, because when I pick up the card, it's misspelled. And then I go to her and she's like, I think they just thought they were doing you a favor, because how my last name is misspelled, I think somebody actually went in and thought that my last name was not my last name and corrected it by a letter. Oh. And so when I, that's what she said. And then she's like, but don't worry, you can just reapply. And I was like, do you know how long it took uh, me to get this? Jokes. And then she laughed, she smirked, like just ever so slightly. And I was like, you know. We're the same. You we know are the it. same. You know. Uh, but in terms of your when will I leave Nairobi, so now that I have this card in my hand, that you can I never have waited. Leave. It's like my fridge. Yeah. I have a fridge. I can never leave Kenya. <laughs> that I've waited so long for. Uh, and I've applied multiple times for, and I finally have one. Um, but that being said, I recently went to Ethiopia for a holiday week, for the holiday weekend. And so birthright. <laughs> effectively. Minus the killing of the Palestinians. Too soon? Wow. Whoa, hot take. That was fuego. You know how I feel about oh, Palestinians. Oh my goodness. Okay. I'm here for them. I was not ready. Um... So I went, I skipped Addis, I went straight to the north slash northwest, uh, went to Gondar, uh, which is where the castles are, mm-hmm. there's a very famous church there as well, the Simeon Mountains are there, or in that area. Is and it was before or after the Ethiopian Airlines 2.0 story? Well, now you have to tell it. No, it's, it's a very short one. I effectively, like, when I just had to make an in, insane amount of phone calls only to realize that I just needed to book online in the beginning, which mm. I'm like, you could have told me this. I'm like, why don't all your people know the same information? I was like, Addy, don't do this. You don't have time. You don't have time. Don't, don't. 
Um, it makes me think of, though, but can't we just get a shuttle from Terminal 1 to Terminal 2? Update! <laughs> there was a shuttle this time! You put that out there in the universe, oh, and my were goodness. Like, we need this. So we took, I don't know if, granted, I don't know if it was a shuttle because the layover was razor thin, even though we were on another flight, and they were just like, everybody going to Nairobi, you can come together. But there was indeed a shuttle, and I was like, my people, I am so proud! I feel like we need to give them props uh, for that. Uh, uh, That's a, yeah. Yeah, so it was an amazing trip. I and I really I haven't been to Ethiopia in over two years, mm. which is absurd considering how close I am. Um, and so it was a really good reminder for me to take advantage of the fact that I am so close. Um, and so I've pledged to myself I will go once a year from now on, if not more than once a year. It's like a homecoming to see more of the country because yeah. inevitably I go to Addis maybe for work or maybe to see people, and then yeah. I just get stuck. Yeah, 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 which is fine. I love the people that I have there. Yeah. No complaints. But I still haven't seen Lalibela. I mm. hadn't been to Gondar till, till the holiday weekend. Lalibela's amazing. There's Bahardar, there's Danakil, yeah. there's so many different places. There's Harar, like... Uh, I'll go with you today. We could do... A the live, depression live. live show and Danakil. Live show from the, de- the depression. Our phones will melt, but it's fine. It's okay. We have a good show. It'll be yeah. lit. <laughs> See what you did there. Um, yeah, so it was just... And it was so interesting. Even though I wasn't an Addis, it was so good to see... I, this is going to sound so ridiculous, but... I don't know, just seeing people in the countryside mm. and just seeing the beauty yeah. of people, both in terms of hospitality and culture and just, you know, the fact that everybody had a gabi wrapped around their heads in the exact, they know what's up. In the exact same way, like over the left shoulder. Yeah. Like it was just something really beautiful about being back and, and getting out of the capital city where there's, you know, money and gossip and drugs and, you know, all this randomness. None of the things that we know about. Yeah, what? So to just get out of there and go straight somewhere else, see something beautiful, support, you know, tourism, and I'm always down for, like, promoting the beauty of the country. Um, it was really nice. And it was the first time, and I was like, ooh, Addy, don't get got. You just got it. It was just four days. But it was the first time where I was like, hmm, could my next stop after Nairobi be mm. Ethiopia? Then your ultimate diaspora. Your triaspora. See what I did there? <laughs> I see what you did there. Try anything. And I've never had that thought before. Mm. But again, I'm not trying to get got. I wasn't in Addis. And I know there's really no park space, so I can't do my Karura walks. Um, but it was nice to speak Amharic again, yeah. even if it was like super broken. And it was, I don't know. It was really nice. It was really nice. Good for you. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Gang, gang. We need to pay some bills. Oh, yes. Please. AKA. So we've been bootstrapping for a while, um, and we now want to reach out to our friends, family, and foes. And countrymen. Yeah. Yeah. Haters. We'll take money from haters, because money is money. Yes. Hater money especially. Yeah. Um, And we would like to request support from, if you love listening to the show, if you hate listening to the show, but you want us to keep making content so you can... Hate on us. Hate on us. Hate on me. Sorry. You want more 21 phone call stories mm. um, <laughs> and the like, or dashboard Kuba stories. Hey. Uh, we would love it if you guys would support um, and donate because that's how we will be able to continue to grow this year, have more content, do more live shows, etc., etc. If you find it in your heart or in your hate... Or to, in your wallets. Or in your wallets. Your digital ones too. Yeah, and Pesa. Bitcoin. That's a real thing. Although that's taken real fast. But if they, yeah, <laughs> we'll take it. You can donate at www.mookmookh.com slash Africana. A-F-R-A-C-A. 
N A H. So I can't spell if I've had half a glass of wine. Wow. Okay. In fact, now oh, you know. Gosh. Um, but hit us up there. We would. We would. Obviously, we're super appreciative of all our listeners, um, and we would love to keep the podcast going. And we can only do that with your support. We would appreciate it. So, and we also know that hey, times are tough. So, any donation, big or small, we will appreciate equally. But if you could make the really big donation, stop it. <laughs> I mean, you're right, but, you know, you don't got to say that, though. <laughs> shall we do Africa Rising Still Rising? We shall. All right, hit us. So my, you know I love a good turning a still rising into a rising. Uh-huh. Mine's actually going to be pretty short and sweet. But my still rising is, or sorry, ooh, just kidding. That's for ooh. you. My mm-hmm. rising uh, is in tribute to Winnie Mandela. In her life. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously she passed away this week, um, which I think came as a, I think people who were close maybe foresaw it, but a, a shock to the world. Um, yes, she was in her early 80s, but um, I think somebody with such a large legacy and presence, uh, you, I think we always assume people will live forever. Mm-hmm. Until which, they don't. Yeah. yeah. And that's why time is short and you should spend it with people you love. But um, my rising is just in kind of commemoration of her life. Um, and I think it's really important that her legacy is not erased or destroyed by decisions that she's made that she's been accountable for, um, which like caused somebody or more than one person to lose their life. Um, but I also think she, because she's a black woman and a black South African woman that she didn't, she wasn't celebrated, um, in the ways that I think that were, Mm -hmm. that she deserved to be celebrated. So, um, kind of to say thank you to her, uh, is what my rising is. And then also let that be a kind of a light for the rest of us women of color who are fighting our own fights in bigger, small ways to change the world. Um, and being unapologetic about how we do that. So when you're alluding to people dying, mm-hmm. I feel like I read a, th- a Twitter thread yeah. that talked about this. But can you get into a bit of detail? Because the Twitter th- thread that I read, mm-hmm. oh, say that five times fast. Twitter thread that I read, um, effectively said that an investigation was done and she was not. She was found not culpable for what happened. But you're saying something different. So, so what hap- what do you, what's happening? Yeah. So my understanding is that uh, that she apologized, but was ultimately not felt culpable by the state. I'm open to sit and corrected on that, but I think that was like the last people did die, and there was uh, there is a connection to her. Um, but then I also think it's, and I'm not saying having people die connected to you is but like is something that we shouldn't remember but I also think like under apartheid there was a lot of really shitty stuff that happened and I think people are trying to use that mm-hmm. um particularly men uh, and particularly white men or there's a whole campaign around trying to use that to not talk about all the kind of the crap and like the just everything that she went through also being like she, there's really strong quotes about her saying, like, I don't want to be remembered as Nelson Mandela's wife. Um, I want to be remembered in my own right. And, like, the just the doors and opportunities she opened for 
many, many, many women in South Africa. Um, and I think for me, what was really telling is uh, my friends and family in South Africa who are 99.9% people of color um, all wrote really strong tributes of what, uh, or most of them wrote really strong tributes of what she meant to them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important yeah. and to not overlook that. And I'm not saying that we should quash conversations about bad things that have happened. Sure. Um, but I, I also think all too frequently women of color, how they're remembered is through erasure or through... Uh, it's not like it's either negative or you yeah, don't exist. Yeah. Yeah. And I we need to actively push against that. I admittedly, I mean, I know I don't know the intricacies of what it is that she did for South Africa, except for just she was a freedom fighter, mm-hmm. she was anti apartheid, yeah, she was also married to Mandela. Mm-hmm. Um but seeing the outpouring of grief slash remembrance has mm-hmm. been really telling, I think, as well. Yeah. Um, there's been some really great, you know, poetry on Twitter yeah. and elegies, eulogies, yeah, what yeah, have yeah. you. Um, so, yeah, now it's up to me to kind of use my free time to read up a little bit more. What I didn't know until kind of the tributes were rolling in was mm-hmm. that they divorced two years after he was released. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that it was that soon. I was like, damn. Yeah. Like, you ride or die, and then... Two weeks, and then you're like, two years you're after, I was like, ooh, ooh. Uh, and granted, I don't, again, I don't know enough about, you know, why or how the relationship withstood the, mm-hmm. him being in prison for so long, etc. Um, so yeah, that's a part of my personal homework to, to learn a bit more about her. Well, you do that and report back. I will, yeah. What about our still rising? So it has to do with Ethiopia, it has nothing to do with Ethiopian Airlines, uh, but my cousins are featured. Um, so a bit of news, recent news. Oh, I thought you meant like your literal cousins. I was like, oh, I haven't seen the magazine yet. Cousin highlight. Mm. It's actually not my people's fault this time, but effectively, treasures, including a gold crown and a royal mm. wedding dress, which were taken from Ethiopia by the British 150 years ago, could be returned to Africa by the Victoria and Albert Museum on long-term loan. Ethiopia lodged a formal restitution claim in 2007 for hundreds of important and beautiful manuscripts and artifacts being held by various British institutions, all plundered after the 1868 capture of Magdala, the mountain capital of Emperor Theodros II, in what was then Abyssinia. That request was refused, but in the run-up to the display opening this week at the V&A Museum, a compromise has been offered by the director, Tristram Hunt, who said, quote, the speediest way, if Ethiopia wanted to have these items on display, is a long-term loan. That would be the easiest way to manage it. I have seen Black Panther. I know how this works. I was like, or how about we forget to pay the loan back? Yeah. That's what I was also thinking. But then I was like, at a principle, nobody should take it on loan. And this is also especially high-key annoying and frustrating to me. And, like, neocolonialism. Because I was just in Gondar, Mm. and I was just in the place where they looted, and the guide mentioned that they looted this. And mind you, Gondar now is just, you know, ruins and whatever. But the ceilings used to be filled with gold and ivory. The ceilings had gold and ivory, you know? Like, there was the library, and there was this, and I'm like, so you mean to tell me... (sighs) Addie, don't get... Don't just... Like, how are you going to loan me my stuff? Like, <laughs> I just... Confidence of a mediocre white man. I have questions. 
And if you want to say, okay, but Ethiopian museums don't have the necessary technology or skills to maintain and keep these things safe, et cetera, et cetera, fine. Reparations. You better pay for that because you Ex- stole it in the first place. Exactly. Now I get it. Like there's, I've been to Aksum yeah. years ago and the museum, of course, it could be better. I get that. Okay. But if you're that concerned about the quality of the mm-hmm. upkeeping and et cetera, mm-hmm. how about you do some capacity building like your people like to do with every other sector, like agriculture and energy? And wash. Y'all like to do capacity building when it comes to solar sanitary pads. Yeah. Why don't you do some with some museums? And how about that? Hmm? Exactly. I 100% agree. I don't want to hear a damn thing. See, I'm about to curse. That's how mad I am. Mm. So I said on Twitter that we need, you know, an Eob killmonger. Iyasu Killmonger. I think that's a great idea. Just sort this out. Killmonger, actually, <laughs> as my people would probably. Iyasu Killmonger. Oh. Somebody's gonna jack that as their Twitter name. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah. no. Feel yeah. free. Um, and then try and lend it back. Then try and sell it back to you. It's like the person who owns that at Adidana.com. I, ju- I do own it. I own it. Oh, okay. But somebody else owned it for a while, right? No. I bought that. No, somebody had the Adidana. Instagram handle, um. this Indonesian kid, and he finally quit Instagram, so I snatched it. The second I was a Russian it. spy. No, no, no. Okay. Speaking of Russians, I have had a lot of Russians. Actually, a Russian evangelical preacher just followed me on Instagram today. I'm like, I don't know. Is yours open? Yeah. Oh. And I was like, is this collusion? I don't understand what's happening. Oh, your data's about to be stripped. I know. Oh, gosh. It's all part of the deep state. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, yes. Again, I'm not really saying this is Ethiopia's fault. What has Ethiopia come back and said? Like, well, you have got to be kidding me or no? Well, the, the interwebs have said that. Um, now, granted, actually, the offer for a long-term loan was welcomed by Professor Andreas Eschete, a former president of Addis Ababa University who co-founded Afromet, a campaign group for the return of the Magdala treasures. He says, quote, this could only be, or this can only be a great improvement on what has happened before. There are certain things that are important to Ethiopia that are never on display in the UK, so I think a loan on a long-term basis would be a great gift to the country. Again, how are you going to gift me what is mine? (sighs) There are 80 objects, a number of... um, uh, what's it called? Yeah, the number of tablets are believed by Ethiopian Christians to be the dwelling place of God on earth, a symbol of the Ark of the Covenant. Covenant, they've never been on public display because of their religious importance and can only be seen, even by a curator, with the agreement of Ethiopian Orthodox Church. Other objects on display... Which I think is valid. Other objects on display, but the British Museum argues the value of them being seen by the public is in a global context. Seriously? Other objects are on display, but the British Museum argues that the value of them being seen by the public is in a global context. So come to Ethiopia globally yeah. and see them. Yeah, yeah. No, precisely. <sighs> Gosh. That's, that's arrogance, though. Like, at another level. That's institutional arrogance. I just... Combined I, with colonialism. Oh, I'm so annoyed. Anyway, I don't want to belabor the point. But basically... But belabor it. Give us our stuff back. Yeah. It's not that hard. And you're not even showing them anyway, so give it back. Don't get me started. I'm so sad. I just, I just saw the place this stuff was looted from. Don't, I can't. This is too much. Maybe that should be the problem of the week. How are you going to loan me my stuff? But it's mine, though. So yeah, that's my Africa still rising. Wakanda forever. What? We'll talk more about that later. Um, shall we get into, I'm super excited for who we have our, on, our, on as our guest today. I am too. All right, ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen's, oh. With a Z. All right, Zagadot. Um, 
Listeners, I'm very excited for our next guest. She is a faithful listener and a friend. Musa, tell the world who we have with us today. So, Adidana and I are very honored to have Tamara Griffin, uh, who is the East Africa correspondent for BuzzFeed News. Welcome. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. So, a little bit more about her. She's the first in the company to cover the region, and since moving to Nairobi, has reported a sexual harassment case in a well-known startup. Uh, on the Kenyan elections and stories around climate change and politics in Southern Africa. Um, so not only does it sound like you have a breadth, but also a depth of um, reporting and kind of getting wonderful stories and sometimes not so wonderful stories yeah. out in, oh, one important story, stories that need to be told out into the world. Um, so we're, yeah, we feel really fortunate to have you here today. Um, a little bit more on you. So you work for BuzzFeed News uh, as a general assignment reporter in New York. Um, and you've kind of covered a whole bunch of stories. I think notably one of like the really powerful ones um, that I, and I think Adidana followed quite closely, uh, was uh, about Sandra Bland, mm-hmm. um, so who's an African-American woman who died in police custody. Um, and then you've also reported on like from Rio and Brazil around the Olympics mm-hmm. um, and just kind of a whole bunch of more brilliance. So we're really happy to have you on. Thank you so much. I'm really excited for this conversation. Okay, so I will get us started. Uh, can you tell the listeners a bit about yourself? Who is Tamara Griffin? Oh, snap. Uh, How much do you time do? do we have? <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? Well, we've already said what you do, but why, why do you think it matters? Why is journalism important? So I initially wanted to be an author. I've always loved writing. I've always loved reading. Mm. Um, and when I was maybe 11 or 12, I used to sit at the computer for hours on summer vacation and write these short stories. But I would never be able to finish a story before I would get an idea for the next story. And so Mm -hmm. I'm sure if you dig into my mom's garage, like boxes of my old writing, you'll find several unfinished short stories. And so I reached a point around maybe 14, 15, where I'm like, okay, I know I want to write, but I don't have the attention span or the endurance to see a story, even a short story, let alone a book, Mm -hmm. through to the end. So I'm thinking, okay, what can I do that gives me a little bit more of an instant gratification of having finished a story. And this happened to coincide with um, my decision to write for the school newspaper as an elective class. I think I was 15 years old. And I'm about to go hella deep with details. Oh, is that okay? okay. I love it. The like, 15 year old in me is like, yes, okay, tell me cool. more. <laughs> so, so in this newspaper class, um, we were able to go out of the classroom and interview students during lunch and stuff like that. And we had to wear this yellow, or sometimes they were orange, um, neon construction vest because safety. people, yeah, safety, but also <laughs> so like student, the blue press jackets, basically, wow. I mean, they, they were not quite so like hefty, but essentially <laughs> students would sneak off campus. They would like take the bathroom pass and then just bounce for the day so as a response anytime you like left the classroom to roam around campus whether it was go to the bathroom or deliver a note to another classroom you had to wear these vests but it's symbolic because when I would go out and wear this vest and walk up to students and ask you know how do you feel about the new rule about tater tots whatever yeah um it almost felt like this armor that allowed me to walk up to people I did not know and ask them whatever I wanted Um, for the purpose of a story. And I've Mm -hmm. always been such a naturally curious person. It almost felt like journalism was my special path into people's lives because it made it socially acceptable to ask Mm -hmm. probing questions, whether it was about tater tots or, Mm -hmm. you know, a student who had just been suspended or something like that. Um, So that, after I realized that I had that power, I was like, oh, this is great. 
Um, this also happened around the same time that the Devil Wears Prada came out. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. so initially, when I, even after deciding I wanted to be a journalist, I really wanted to be a fashion journalist. Mm. Um, and I wanted to get sent to Paris for Fashion Week, which is why I decided to study French in high school. Like, all of... I was thinking... You were on it. Yeah. I like it. Organized. <laughs> right. But then what happened when I went to college, and I studied journalism in college, um, I was exposed more to Africana studies and women and gender studies and just... The general, I went to... Sorry, what studies was that again? Women and gender studies. The first no. one? Oh, Africana studies? Yeah, just without one. Without an H. Oh! Without an H. <laughs> right, without the H. They weren't that yeah. on top of it yeah. yet. <laughs> um, and just because I went to school in San Francisco, social justice is sort of embedded in the culture of the city, mm. and thus in my studies too. Um, and I developed a sort of guilt um, that I now know is kind of, it was sort of a misplaced or misassigned guilt um, because I started thinking, how can I want to write about, you know, a $5,000 Valentino dress when mm. I can write about people getting deported or mm. um, Oscar Grant was killed when I was at school in the Bay Area. Um, so I started to think, I think I want to write about something that's not necessarily more substantive because I now know that it's possible to write about fashion in a way that... Mm-hmm fashion and social justice, you know, but at the time I, I wasn't there yet. Um, at the same time that I was living in San Francisco, I was exposed to the African diaspora community in the Bay area because of this one club that I was obsessed with going to. I love it. It was a Senegalese restaurant. Ooh, what is it called? Little Whale Bomb? Yes. Have you been there? I have. (laughs) So good. Could you see the goosebumps on my arm? Yes. Like, oh my God, actually I do see them. (laughs) That, my emotions are really tied to my goosebumps, so... Just know that when it happens, I'm getting really charged that's your, up. That's your love language. <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> um, okay. So I started going to this club, and there were, I met people from Mali, from Egypt, from Nigeria, of course, from, you know, so many different African countries. Mm. And that was sort of my entryway into the diaspora, and thus, in a lot of ways, the continent, too. I learned about... That's how I learned about what remittances were, for Mm -hmm. example. That's how I learned about the process of becoming a U.S. citizen because I literally, I mean, there were times where I would go to this place Friday night, Saturday night, and hang out Sunday during the day to watch like a World Cup soccer game. I was there all the time. So I became friends with the the bartenders and the DJs Mm -hmm. and the bouncers who were all part of this diaspora community. Um, And so my junior year of college, I realized I want to study this in an academic way mm-hmm. to sort of supplement this very personal, personalized education mm-hmm. um, about the continent and the diaspora. So then I decided to go to grad school. I did uh, a dual master's in journalism and Africana studies uh, in New York because at that point I knew that I wanted to practice journalism mm-hmm. abroad. I didn't even know where on the continent. I, you could have sent me anywhere, honestly. Um, but I knew that most likely I would end up in Nigeria, Ghana, Kenya, maybe Uganda, South Africa. Um, And so after grad school, I got hired at BuzzFeed a few months after that. Um, And like like I wrote in in the bio, I wrote about a little bit of everything. Um, And I've sort of continued doing that here too. Mm -hmm. And I think it goes back to that 15-year-old and even earlier self that has just been curious about everything. Mm -hmm. Um, Fashion and sports and politics and crime and the environment. And so it's great that my job allows me to still sort of feed that wide range of curiosities. Um, But I still do feel very much that my job allows me to walk up to anyone, really, 
um, and ask them sometimes deeply personal questions about their lives that otherwise might be met with a lot of hesitancy, Mm -hmm. rightfully so. And I'm still even met with that as a journalist. Um, But yeah, that's me as like the professional. But the other thing about this job is that my personal and professional life, like the overlap, if you were to make a Venn diagram, it's almost one circle. (laughs) In New York, I was able to sort of compartmentalize because I was going to an office. And when my workday was finished, I'm leaving the office and now I'm, but I work from home. So my home is my office and my life is my work. And I can be in an Uber going to a friend's party and having a conversation with the driver that I want to turn into a story later, Mm -hmm. um, which has been interesting to navigate. Um, But yeah, that's me in a very big nutshell. (laughs) Is the large amount of overlap, do you think it's better for your process all in all? Or same, different, indifferent? It definitely took some adjusting to, and I think I was resistant to it at first. Because I think that the media industry, at least in the U.S., and I guess specifically in New York, because that's that's where I was before moving to Nairobi, can be like this exclusive club where Mm. a lot of journalists will only hang out with other journalists. And that was something that I was almost hyper-conscious of when I moved to Nairobi. Um, I've heard how easy it is, even not even just with journalists, but with expats in general, to get into these bubbles where you end up, and I'm sure you guys have experienced this and heard of it um, before you moved too. Um, So I think I was just really sensitive to to what that would mean. And um, I think because there's not always like a an off button <laughs> mm-hmm. to being a journalist here. Um, but I think I'm learning how to use that to my advantage. And it's in a lot of ways encouraged me, especially now that I feel a little bit more settled to go outside of my comfort zones. And I feel like I, I noticed like, okay, Tamara, the only places that you've hung out this week are Alchemist and Jay's and brew, you know, Which like the trifecta, yeah. <laughs> the tri- the trifecta, Friday night in Nairobi. It's a great trifecta. And I love those places. Um, but that tells a very, very, very small, it's, it's a very narrow look at what life in Nairobi mm-hmm. is. And then to even expand beyond Nairobi and realize how much of an anomaly Nairobi is in Kenya mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. terms of the way people live, yeah. you know? Um, so, it, so I'm trying to figure out ways to sort of incorporate the way I am living my life when I'm not actively working, mm-hmm. um, but still allowing like inspiration to come through mm-hmm. there so that it can inform my work. Yeah. So I think overall it's a good thing, but it did take some time for me to be like, okay, so I'm still working technically now and <laughs> it can be a Saturday afternoon and there could be, I don't know, something happening in Somalia that I kind of, if I don't, it's not necessarily that I have to drop everything and start working, but I just have to always kind of be on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, on a device? Most of the time, yeah. Okay. Just so that I can be aware, when I can get the push notifications yep. from AP if something has happened. Yeah. What? Tell us a little bit more about what prompted BuzzFeed to even have um, an East Africa bureau, because that's it. Sounds like that's not something that was happening previously. Right. So I am the first journalist for BuzzFeed to cover East Africa, but I'm not the first BuzzFeed journalist in East Africa. Okay. Um, Gina Moore, who is now the East Africa or the Africa 
I don't know if the East is in her title, bureau chief for the New York Times. Okay. She used to work for BuzzFeed as the global women's rights correspondent. Okay. She was based in Nairobi, though. So sometimes she would write story Like, she wrote about the... The name is escaping me. When the women protested with the uh, skirts. Uh, my Dress, My Joyce. Thank yeah. you. That was, like, my first month in Kenya. Oh, wow. It's the reason what I don't wear short clothing. Oh, Still. snap. Wow, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so she wrote about that because that was a situation in which women's rights overlapped with where she was based. Mm-hmm. But she also wrote about Ebola. She wrote about women's rights in you know South Asia, East Asia, the Pacific. Um, but I'm the first person to cover East Africa and a lot of times Southern Africa too. I don't think that there was necessarily a conversation that happened within the company that they're like, oh, it's time for us to cover this. I think Gina was so flexible that she ended up a lot of times Mm -hmm. covering East and a lot of West Africa until we hired a a foreign correspondent to cover West Africa, Monica Mark. She's based in Senegal. Um, But Gina was kind of all over. Yeah. Um, And so she at one point moved to Western Europe before joining the Times, which opened up an opportunity both to you know, hire someone else yeah. in Nairobi, but also to maybe change the focus mm-hmm. of the coverage. So I'm now um, covering East Africa, and we have another global women's rights correspondent, but she's based in Delhi. Okay. So most of her women's rights coverage is based on women in South Asia. Um, I don't think that, and in terms of the Bureau, I am the Bureau. Yeah. It's just me. You say, are the Bureau. Right. Yeah. I usually say it like that Chief when I try to yeah. impress yeah. people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Girl, that would have been on my business cards from like really? day one. <laughs> Do you know who I am? Right. I am the Bureau. Um, and that's how it is with all of the correspondents. There are some... Um, one colleague who covers... She covers South America. She's based in Mexico City. But BuzzFeed actually has an office in Mexico City. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, that produces content in Spanish yeah. for Mexican readers. Um, and that's not the case for me. Yeah. My audience is primarily still coming from the States, maybe the UK. And as people are beginning to learn more that I'm here and that I'm not making crazy videos where I'm like jumping off rooftops and yeah. stuff, like other stuff that you'll see on BuzzFeed um, that isn't BuzzFeed news, um, I like to think that I'm generating a certain kind of readership slowly but surely yeah. here. Um, but yeah, I think that it was always on the priority list to cover East Africa. Mm-hmm. It was just a matter of who was where and who was, you know, focusing on what yeah. at that time. Cool. And would you say a lot of the readers would be diaspora or not necessarily? Like maybe you don't have, you don't track stats down to that, but I'm just curious. It's like yeah. when people who are reaching out to you, is it mm-hmm. African diaspora who are kind of interested in wanting to stay connected? Because mm. um, that's a big part of our listenership. Right. Um, or yeah, is it just at like... People everywhere in the world who want to know what's happening in East Africa. I actually wish that I had actual numbers on that um, because it would inform my work, to Mm -hmm. be honest, in terms of the things that I decide to cover. Based on social media, which is kind of my only, the only metrics that I have, like who's tweeting and sharing and every once in a while emailing, I would say that it's a, it feels maybe 30% diaspora. 70%, but the 70%, I would say, combines people who are on the continent and people who are not of the diaspora, which is kind of a weird way of breaking it down, I realize. Yeah, yeah, that's true, because you could be both, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So when I wrote about Day Zero, the water crisis in in Cape Town, Mm -hmm. I heard from a lot of Cape Tonians um, who were based there, but I didn't hear very much from South Africans in the diaspora. Yeah. 
yeah, I'm trying to think of a time that, or a story I wrote that generated a specific response from the diaspora, and I can't really think of one, but it's also hard to tell on social yeah. media, you know? people don't say, hi, I am yeah. from the diaspora, of the diaspora. Right. And people don't always fill out their location and yeah. stuff. Um, but that's actually a really good question, and I, I've been curious about that, too, especially because like I said, when I first got here, and it still happens, you know, yeah. I tell people that I write for BuzzFeed and they sometimes, A, don't know what BuzzFeed is, mm-hmm. B, do know what BuzzFeed is, but don't realize that BuzzFeed does news, mm-hmm. and therefore three, don't realize that I do news and think that, you know, they ask if I know the Try Guys or <laughs> if I'm doing videos or... Or a list of top 16, yeah, plus mm-hmm. places to visit. Exactly. Um, Fun fact. Uh-huh. <laughs> So do you already in, know what the fun fact is going to no, be? No, oh, okay. it's going to be ridiculous based on how. Is there a guy named what is it? No Fulmer, Ned Fulmer, as a try guy? Yeah, do you know him? So <laughs> actually, I think I know there's I'm pretty I white, there's right? A guy named... No, so in college we had this event in freshman year called the Screw, the Freshman Screw. Wow, I know it's a very bold title. Very. Uh, but effectively, your roommates would pair you with another freshman. To and date? You, yes. And then you would have to find each other on campus in very elaborate ways. Like oh, I actually like your this. Na- like your roommates would write a map for you and like give you all these clues. But consensual, then, right? Like you're signing up for this. No. So it's No, like, you're signing up. I mean, you're going on a... You, to you're the, not consenting to your blind date. It's a blind date. You don't know who the person is. No, no, no. You're consenting to the idea of a blind date. Yeah, of course. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, you so don't it's just... like blind date... I think it's really important to highlight in the story. <laughs> blind yeah. date plus scavenger hunt. Exactly. Amazing. I'm down. Yeah, so each individual Can we college, revive that in Nairobi? That or? actually could be a business a great, idea. I think that's a great idea. People would... Anyway, we'll, we'll talk, talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> offline, offline. Right. So, <laughs> Take it off thread. So there was two screws. There was the one for your college, your actual dorm, and you would be screwed with somebody that was in your college. And then the freshman-wide screw was you could pick anyone. It's the constant use of screw. Yeah, that, I, it's just Adam a word. It's I'm just back. a word. Okay. It's just a word, guys. Okay. Words only have words the power. Words only and have the power the you assign to them. Okay. Anyway, so then there's the freshman-wide screw. And then you're paired with anybody in the freshman class. So your roommates okay. go on Facebook, thanks Mark Zuckerberg, find people, oh, wow. and then contact their roommates, and then make the match. Mm-hmm. So Sounds my amazing. freshman screw date was Ned. And every time I see him on one of these videos, it's so funny to me. I'm like, Well, now wow. I want to know how the date went. It went well. It was fine. Like, wow. we just, why don't we dance? It was, it was okay. Like, it wasn't, like, nothing came of it. Sparks but, didn't fly, but it wasn't. No, there were no it was sparks, a good date. But it was fine. Yeah. I mean, I wow. don't know what he would say about it, but I, it was okay for me. Well, if you're, Ned, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> if, you wanna, if you want to try sending in a message, oh! letting us know. I might be able to drop a line. Uh, wow. So yeah, fun fact. What an activity. Yeah, I really think we need to revive that. Nairobi screw. There you go. If the oh. alchemist tickets sold on MOOC. There you go. <laughs> I appreciated that tangent very much. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So a bit back to work now, actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, What is the most, you can decide whether how to respond, either memorable or perhaps powerful uh, story that you have, you have reported on or covered. And you can give like a top two or three if one is hard. Okay. Um, If I were to talk about the most powerful story is different from the most memorable story the sure. most mm-hmm. even like important story to me um I think I'll go with the latter because it's something that I published last week actually um about the LGBT community in Kenya mm-hmm. and that's a topic not even just in Kenya but I've been wanting to write about the LGBT community and yeah. com- or communities in East Africa for a long time <clears throat> but I 
it took a while for me to think of the best way to get in. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to write about, you know, the club, the secret club that everyone goes to. It took a while for me to think of like a nuanced way. Um, And then I hear about this uh, hearing in, in Kenya's high court where the petitioners who are comprised of activists and human rights attorneys um, filed a petition actually in 2016 that's just now getting its -hmm. its time in court. Um, And they're basically urging the judges to repeal uh, two different articles within the penal code that Mm -hmm. they say has been used to target, discriminate against, and justify violence against um, people who identify as LGBT Mm -hmm. and people who are even perceived to be gay, Mm -hmm. lesbian, uh, queer, bi, transgender. Um, And what I loved about this story was typically, so, and this is something that I did even in the States. I've Mm -hmm. always been extremely conscientious about the gender balance and the way that I source my stories. Um, This is the first time in that I can remember where that I wasn't specifically writing about women that I didn't have to actively try to find women to interview mm-hmm. um, so I went a lot of the people that I spoke to worked for the um, National Gay and Lesbian Human Rights Commission mm-hmm. in Nairobi and everyone that I met when I went that day was a woman mm-hmm. from the attorneys to the legal researchers to the program officers mm-hmm. um, and as I started learning more about the case and about the LGBT um, activist community in Nairobi, the more I learned that it is a primarily female-led movement, um, which added to me this really interesting and important layer to the story, Um, just thinking about the role that women generally play in social movements. Um, And I just thought it was a really nice sort of counter-narrative to the general conversation that we have about gender in Kenya. just to be, just to have conversations with these truly like badass Kenyan women who are bravely and and sort of defiantly <clears throat> trying to get these penal codes repealed um, and are showing up in court and taking notes and tweeting and, you know, bringing people into the conversation and challenging people. I thought it was just really, really important. It, it was a story that I personally was very proud of. Um, and yeah, it, it's something that, like I said, usually I have to, if I need to interview an attorney for, for a story that may, might be unrelated to like a specific law, but I need someone to just break down this one line in the constitution, or if I'm writing a more analytical piece and I need to interview an analyst who specializes in Zimbabwean politics, so often it's a man. Um, and I have, it takes a while sometimes to try and find, you know, the, the PhD candidate who's, you know, maybe based in Texas, but is Zimbabwean and, and it's something that I'm totally willing to do because I think that's the only way to change the narrative. Um, but to me, it was just great to have the women be here and out, mm-hmm. both in terms of their identity and, you know, in terms of their work. Yeah. Um, and I think the response to the story was really positive too, which was, um, reassuring, uh, and to me, it was just it was a it was it was that nuanced way into the community that I had been looking for. Um, so that's that's a case that we we don't have the decision yet. Um, we won't even know the date that the, that the judges will release their decision until the end of April. So this is sort of a long game mm-hmm. in terms of story. 
Um, but it's one that was really important to me and one that I'm definitely going to stay on top of in terms of updates. And where can our listeners find, like, it sounds like you're going to continue to tell the story. Yes. Um, but kind of the beginning of the piece that you've talked about, where, where can our listeners find that? <laughs> this is a slightly more rudimentary way of doing it, but you can just Google BuzzFeed LGBT Kenya Penal Code um, and my name if you really want to get nitty gritty with it. But even if you just Google those main words, um, the story up. will pop up. Yeah. Awesome. So question. Mm-hmm. Number one, that was an amazing story, which I don't know if I oh, sent you a you. message about it or not. So I'm sorry if I didn't. I haven't read no, it yet. So I'm so uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Number two, have you watched the documentary God Loves Uganda? No. Have you heard of it? No. Oh, girl. <laughs> um, is it on Netflix? It used to be on Netflix, which okay. is how I saw it. I don't know if it still is. But effectively, it talks about the anti-homosexuality law in Uganda Mm. and how I think parliamentarians wanted to instate the death penalty for homosexuality. Mm. And so the film was about that, but it was also about the motivations and the inspiration, if you will, behind that, which was found to be... American evangelicals who had traveled consistently over time mm-hmm. um, and shared their messaging on on Uganda or, or rather on homosexuality and, and the culture wars in the US and I think kind of the overarching theory or or thought is that they felt that they've lost the culture war in the US mm. so the pearl of New Africa is, yeah, is literally right. the final frontier for where they can quote unquote win wow. the culture war, mm-hmm. um, and the New York Times has done a piece on on that, but also the, a the influence, and I think they even did another piece about the backlash of so, for example, when USAID or the U.S. State Department fund quote unquote pro LGBTQIA rights, um, that it actually hurts sometimes rather than helps because now people used to go from being don't ask don't tell to now there's heightened visibility which now is almost a downside because Mm. now they're targets right so there has been it's something that i've yeah it's just watch god loves uganda okay i think it's a really great documentary it will leave you with a lot of emotions in my case it was anger Mm. for you it might be something else um, but it's it was really well done. Wow. Yeah, yeah it's such a complex issue. Um, the visibility and how that can both help and hurt you. How can that? How that can literally place you in danger. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough topic, um, but one that we we do ourselves a disservice yeah. by not talking about yeah. it at all. Important stories to tell. Mm-hmm. Um. So I'm gonna just take us to the future. Okay. Um. I'm really curious as to what you think or what are your thoughts around the future of journalism in East Africa mm-hmm. um, or more broadly than that too if you want to comment on like on what journalism may look like across the continent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, two things that I hope to see mm-hmm. um, moving forward and I, I think this can apply to the whole continent. Um, one, I hope to see more foreign correspondents of African descent. Amen. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if you guys have read the book A Moonless Starless Sky by Alexis Okewo. Um, highly recommend. We'll trade Add recommendations. <laughs> yeah, we can trade recommendations. Um, she is a Nigerian-American journalist. Um, I want to say she was born and raised in the States, but both parents came to the U.S. from mm-hmm. Nigeria for a college, I think. 
Um, and after she graduated from college in the U.S., she spent considerable time in Uganda, went back to the States. She's now a staff writer for The New Yorker, but since has um, spent a lot of time in Nigeria. She did a lot of reporting on Boko Haram. Um, she's been to uh, Mauritania and Somalia. So there's actually, I'll send you a link to this too. She wrote this amazing piece about young women basketball players in Mogadishu and the, the risks that they face literally every time they leave their homes to go play or practice, Mm -hmm. um, which is, it ended up being a chapter in the book, but basically the book, um, the sort of subtitle is women and men fighting extremism in Africa. I've heard of this. Okay. It's so good. Um, so not only has she found these incredible stories, Mm -hmm. I mean, a Ugandan couple that escaped the LRA and like found each other, they escaped at different times and found each other and like their complicated love story because she was kidnapped and he, they were both kidnapped, but she was like forced to be his wife and the love that developed from that to the, the basketball players I mentioned. Um, and this is all nonfiction. Yes. Yeah, this, okay, yeah. It's basically like very, it's like New Yorker length yeah. stories. Um, four amazing. different. Yeah. So it's all compiled in a book. So there's two parts of the book and each part is like a, con- the second part is a continuation of each of the first four stories. Mm. Um, and it's, I mean, it's such an impressive book, but in addition to the the stories that she found and the depth with which she reported them, she also um, at times wrote about what it was like to report those stories as a woman of African descent on the continent. And um, for me, it was deeply relatable because a lot of the things she wrote about I've experienced or anticipate experiencing at some point. Um, just the level the degree to which she could relate sometimes to the people that she was talking to, um, the sometimes depending on which country you're in ease with which you can blend into a crowd and Mm -hmm. how that opens you up to certain things that you might not hear otherwise. Um, and it just reinforced the importance of having that kind of representation. Um, so that's definitely something I'd like to see more of. One thing that makes me, really proud to work at BuzzFeed, honestly, is the fact that the two foreign correspondents we have who cover the continent are both women of African descent. Monica is Nigerian, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm black American, like many generations um, American. And it's just, this is not to say that it's impossible for you to write a meaningful story in Africa if you're not of African descent, but there is just another, it's like reporting in a different dimension sometimes. Um, and that's something that I think we need to see more of, especially if we're going to continue the conversation about the way that people report Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, something needs to change there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you know, this w- and this is all really like a question of diversity and inclusion, which is a conversation that we're having across the media industry, not just with foreign correspondents. Um, but I think that there needs to be a more explicit conversation that happens in this part of the industry Mm -hmm. um, that I don't always see happening. So that's one thing. Um, I hope to see more foreign correspondents of African descent. And the other thing I started thinking about when, not to bring it back to the U.S., but I'm about to do that. (laughs) Um, So after the 2016 elections, there was within the media industry, a lot of critique about what happens when so much of the reporting about the campaigns and you know the races and the rhetoric is concentrated in these urban areas, which tend to be a little bit more progressive. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there was a lot of, and it took a while for me to realize how profound that critique actually was, um, because I grew up in the Bay Area, then I moved to New York City, and I am aware of the bubbles that I lived in, especially in the Bay Area, <laughs> um, and how that shaped me as a person, how that has shaped the way that I respond to certain belief systems, to certain political stances, um, and and you could see, you know, like when uh, when you're seeing, you know, New York Times articles about things that Trump said, so there was, and this is not just the Times. I think almost all major media networks, news networks, were guilty of this. Um, it tended to have this layer of, you know, these people don't know what they're talking about at this Trump rally in mm. South Carolina, yeah. or. Um, and the consequences of that yeah. was that we presented a very skewed narrative of what was going on. And I think it was, in hindsight, especially easy to read that kind of coverage and be like, oh, we don't have anything to worry about. You know, these people yeah. are not going to show up in droves. And I know the popular vote numbers, but still, you know, um, I think it, it kind of set us up for this extremely rude and jarring and for some people, traumatic awakening when, yeah. you know, November 9th came around. Yeah. So anyway, I, that's all the context. But when I apply that to the continent, um, I also hope to see people going outside of Nairobi and Joburg mm -hmm. and Cape Town and Lagos. And, you know, um, those stories are equally important. Yeah. And a lot of times I think what's happening outside of these major cities, I was talking earlier about, like the more I travel throughout Kenya, the more I'm like, oh, Nairobi is kind of like the, Nairobi is like the foreign, the mm. foreigner of Kenya, yeah. you know? Um, I think a lot of times if we really pay attention, and this is something that I would like to eventually start doing too, is what's happening in these smaller towns and rural mm -hmm. areas is an indication of what can eventually be happening on a bigger scale. Mm -hmm. um, and the sooner that we can tell those stories, the better we can predict, the, or the more accurately possibly we can predict what can be coming. Mm -hmm. um, so I hope that people will more, will continue to, and this is not to say that people aren't doing it, um, but I hope to see more of that too. People mm -hmm. pushing, like reporters pushing, whether it's needing to convince your editor to let you go and report in this small town, um, or more freelancers, you know, which also depends on, you know, organizations to fund it. But mm -hmm. I hope to see more of that too. Um, and th that's, I guess, another example of how my personal life is informing my work because that idea developed as I started to explore outside of Nairobi more. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I was just, I wasn't surprised, but I was, it was striking how curious I became about Kisumu, mm -hmm. for example. And then I think about how often I read about Kisumu, especially when it's not directly related to elections, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I hope to see more of that. I think it will just make for more interesting journalism. It will also send a subtle message to people who are not on the continent and maybe people who are and, you know, born and raised in Nairobi yeah. that it's possible, like news exists outside of the city. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Nairobi is, is in itself a bubble in a lot of ways. Um, so I hope to see a lot more of that too. So related to your first point when you talked about um, how representation and, and having foreign correspondence based on the continent could potentially help some of the ways that the continent has been portrayed. Mm -hmm. um, National Geographic recently released their mea culpa, you know, apology, if you will, or rather analysis of their reporting. Right. 
uh, effectively finding out that they were really problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't think a reader of color necessarily was surprised by, but the editorial board was surprised. But mm-hmm. the fact is that they actually decided to do that analysis. I'm not sure what spurred that on, but what are your thoughts on on the publication making a statement like that? Is it something where... I mean, do you think it's useful after all this time? Do you think, I mean, what does it mean for, for this type of, because National Geographic is a very specific type of publication where right. you're exploring yeah. and you're being curious. So where does that line exist for you in terms of respect and curiosity? Yeah, I should preface this with saying that that letter is still in my pocket app. I haven't read it yet. I've read a lot of the discussion around it. So just to, I don't want to make it seem like I've, you know, annotated the thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I think in general, part of the experience of being a person of color in the West, I'll say, because even using that term on the continent, people are like, what? Black, what? Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, I think a large part of that experience is having to accept that there is a huge delay in your realization of certain realities about the world. And when the non-POC world catches up to it. Um, and I think this was an example of that. Even when you mentioned, you know, this this is not coming as a surprise to a lot of people of color, um, that National Geographic has had this kind of, based on the reaction, it seems exotifying approach to certain kinds of people. And I know that and it sort of happened at the same time because they also came out with that issue about the twins, right? Exactly. Which we see every few I years. That. What was that context? So there, there's a set of... Are they American, the twins? Are they I think the so. space twins? I don't know where the they're space from. Twins, Older they, white men? No, they're, okay. they look like they're maybe... Ten? Ten. Okay. <laughs> Not thinking about the same story. Thinking okay. about the space DNA changing oh, twins. Okay, Not. so this is one of those, like, the future of race stories. And they're... Twins, I don't know if identical or fraternal, I guess fraternal. Um, One could easily pass as white and the other is like very visibly a black girl. And the whole, a photo of them is like the cover of this issue. And I just remember the cover coming out around the same time as this Mm -hmm. letter, which is, says a lot and that you can have a whole conversation about that. But it seemed that, and I'd seen these twins before and I want to say I'd seen them in National Geographic. Um, but the the premise, even if you were to just look at the cover and mm-hmm. not read the story, seems to be somehow it's possible that these twins can look black and white. Like, what is this telling us about the way that race is going to, the way that we're going to talk about race? And, and I think that was another example of, I mean, even seeing the responses on Twitter to that is like, one, we've seen these twins before. Please stop parading them around. Yeah. And two, um, it played into this narrative of like, the more we mix, the like the the extent to which we mix interracially mm-hmm. will determine the the pace at which we can achieve this goal of like eliminating racism, as if it's ever been about that. Yeah. <laughs> because people will just find new ways of categorizing. Yeah, and that's what people have done. So anyway, um, yeah, there's this, and that is understandably very frustrating to have been forced to learn about these things, often in very deeply personal ways, um, often at very young ages, and then to, several years later, 
see a publication finally coming to grips with this thing that you have known, even if you didn't have words for it at the time, yeah. you know, um, years later. And I mean, I'm glad that they eventually realized it. And I tend to be, if not relieved, then I have like positive feelings for people who, when they essentially wake up. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I had to learn at a certain point to not, to just manage the frustration that can come with that a little bit better because that's also draining. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the urge to be like, oh, well, it took you long enough. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's obviously a valid response mm -hmm. too. But to, I think for me personally, I've just become better at managing the extent to which I allow that to affect me on a personal level. Mm -hmm. It'll be really interesting to see moving forward how, if and or how their coverage changes um, mm -hmm. post this realization in this letter. But I don't think it ever hurts publications to, to publicize those kinds of realizations. I think it's important um, because they probably have a ton of readers who didn't even realize there was a problem in the first place until they read this letter, mm -hmm. you know? That's true. Who are maybe now going back to their past yeah. issues and being like, oh. I mean, that's what I hope. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's a complicated thing. And at the end of the day, I am glad that they said something. Um, but I also don't necessarily think they deserve too many cookies for it either. <laughs> so to a lighter topic, mm -hmm. uh, you were actually fortunate enough to go to Kisumu in Western Kenya uh, to watch the Black Panther premiere. Yes. And you covered it. And so obviously you covered it from a you know, journalism perspective, mm -hmm. uh, but you're also a Black American slash African American in Kenya watching the film. Right. And so these two groups of people, Africans and people of African descent in the US have, there's been ebbs and flows, if, ups and downs, if you will, to mm -hmm. the relationship. Uh, so first off, I wanna hear a bit about what it was like to cover the premiere. Um, and then secondly, just your thoughts as just a human being watching, watching the film. So I had just moved to Kenya when the first, the very first trailer for Black Panther came out. And since then, I want to say this was like early June. I have just been on the edge of my seat, just juiced for this. And I'm thinking, <laughs> there, is, <laughs> there is no blacker experience that I can have than to watch this black-ass movie. <laughs> You're speaking to my heart. On the, on the continent. Like, I have been waiting and ready. And this was way before I knew that I'd be able to cover it in Kisumu, which added a whole other layer to it, you know? <laughs> Um, so I was super excited. I didn't keep, I wasn't holding my breath that Lupita Nyong'o was going to be there and it didn't even matter, you know? Um, the red carpet event leading up to the screening was really cool. It was, but I mean, there was literally a red carpet. I've never actually been to a real red carpet event in Hollywood or anything. So I don't have that tangible of an example to compare it to, but based on what we see, um, they, they did it up, you know, people were wearing their you know, tailor-made, off-the-shoulder, high-waisted pants type of, like, fly mm -hmm. stuff with fresh braids. But people were also wearing, like, more traditional suits and long dresses. Um, people just, like, showed up and showed out. And so that was really, really cool to see. Um, people, Kisumu has, I learned in reporting this story, a really burgeoning, like, underground art scene. So there are a lot of local artists who are invited to the premiere, um, who were very hopeful that the sort of the spotlight um, that the movie generated would 
also give them a, a bit more of a platform to continue practicing their art. Um, it was just, it was really cool. And it, it actually reminded me of a story I'd done several months ago in Nairobi. I covered um, Nairobi's Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's right, I remember. And something happens where, <laughs> it didn't happen at the premiere, but it happened at Comic-Con. I felt the same though. First of all, goosebumps everywhere. So you know now what that means for me emotionally. <laughs> but there's something about seeing, as an African-American who's on the continent, seeing that level of representation and what it does to people um and it was it was like right in front of my face at comic-con you know black phoebes from scooby-doo and like people from the walking dead i know they have black characters on the show but you know like it just i i actually it actually made me emotional at comic-con but and i felt similarly um in kisumu it was just it was just a really pure moment. Mm-hmm. It was it was really touching. Um, watching the movie was a whole other experience because I and I'm still not totally. I'm still trying to sort of figure out the movie theater culture in Nairobi. I just it feels a little bit different from the states. Um, I don't know, like like in the states, going to the movies is it can be a date, it can be something that you're doing with your friends. I, I'm still trying to figure out like what cultural meaning it has in Kenya. But anyway, um, there were times that I was aware watching the movie the first time based on the writing, um, based on some of the references and jokes that were made that Black Americans were the primary audience. And the most telling one was when... Um, sort of in the beginning, like leading up to the scene where they are in South Korea and Shuri is showing um, T'Challa his new like gear yeah. <laughs> and they uh-huh. do a total <laughs> reference to the vine. What are those? Mm-hmm. And I literally was the only person in the theater who cracked up at that. And mm-hmm. it's still one of my, I've seen the movie three times now and it remains one of my favorite mm-hmm. lines, favorite scenes in the movie. But as I was like coming down from my cracking up, I was like, oh, it's a there's like a very specific community of people even in the U.S. even if you were to take Black Americans in the U.S. it has to be Black Americans who spend a certain amount of time on social media specifically Vine to even understand what's going on here um, and it made me think about arguments that I've heard from either Africans in the diaspora or Africans on the continent that the movie was primarily made for Black Americans or they'll even go further and say it catered to Black Americans romanticized visions of what Africa is like. Mm. You can make arguments for that. You can make arguments against it. Um, But this is something that even long before moving to Kenya, since even before grad school, when I started making friends with people at Little Baobab that I've been thinking about a lot is, you know, the relationships and cultural gaps that exist between Black Americans in the U.S. and Africans on the continent and Africans in the diaspora, because there's also tension between diasporans yeah. and those on the continent that we can talk about. Um, and I just thought that the movie did such a good job of unearthing all of that in really complicated, but necessarily complicated ways. Mm-hmm. And like every time I, I've seen the movie since then, I just pick out these new mm-hmm. um, things to think about. But seeing it on the seeing it in Kenya has been really special. My dad recently came to visit me and he purposely put off seeing it in the U.S. so that he could see it for the first time in Kenya. And we had this whole conversation afterwards about it. Um, it's just sparked some really, really important discussion that I hope continues because we, we need to be talking about this stuff. 
just out of curiosity, what was the experience like um, for your dad and watching it with your dad? I was actually really pleasantly surprised that his the very first thing he said about the movie was, and he hadn't read any reviews or anything. Um, he was like, it's, it's bittersweet that it took this long for us to see a movie where the female characters are so exalted. Mm-hmm. He said, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but I was just like, dad, wow. <laughs> yes. This is, yes, absolutely. I wasn't even ready to go there yet. I was going to warm up to it, but yes. <laughs> um, and what made talking to him about it even more interesting was that he was also, him coming to visit me was also his first time on the continent. And so I could tell that he was synthesizing his own personal experiences, just navigating Kenya Mm -hmm. with what he was seeing in the movie. Um, And so it was was just this really rich discussion. But um, I could tell that, like when we talk about Killmonger and Mm -hmm. T'Challa and who's quote-unquote right and wrong or good or bad, Mm -hmm. I could tell that he was basing that both on his experiences with Africans in the diaspora in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and with his experiences his more recent experiences with Kenyans in Kenya. Um, but it was great. I mean, there's something really special about just experiencing that with someone for the first time all over again. Yeah. Because my first trip to the continent was coming up on five, it was about five years ago, actually. Um, and I was at a different place in my life, of course. Um, but yeah, he, I could tell that even he was still kind of processing. And it's, it's a complicated movie. And it, I mean, it's a complicated narrative told through this beautiful, vivid, vibrant, well-written story. Um, but yeah, it was really cool talking to him about it. And even now, he'll send me kind of like random WhatsApp messages, mm-hmm. these like belated reflections mm-hmm. and revelations about the movie. But yeah, it's been great. Where would you like to be posted next? Oh, Okay, so I'm not. <laughs> that was so sorry. And I know it's like a complicated question because that can mean a whole bunch of things, right? Like in terms right. of the nature of what you do, mm. who you work for. Um, yeah, but like what, tell us a little bit more about like what that would look like for you. Sure. I have never been one of those like five year plan, 10 year plan mm. people. I'm trying to get better at it. If only so I have something to visualize and like manifest mm-hmm. that way. Um, the general plan, I think, is to spend five to seven years on the continent. And even when I think about how many years I want to spend in each place, when I, so like six months into, I'm now coming up on 10 months in Kenya, mm-hmm. but maybe like four months in, I was like, yeah, after two years, I'm going to be ready to go somewhere else. Mm. But now I'm kind of like, dang, I'm... I'm now on like the next level of settling into the place and it's like, okay, well, what does it mean there to get levels. Myself, you know, so many levels to this. Um, and it's like, okay, well, what does it mean to make sure that I give myself a full, real, rich opportunity to really establish myself, both on a personal and professional level. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I'm kind of like, oh, maybe I'll have like three, five years in Kenya. Um, I don't know. On the, there's a part of me too that really wants to report in Nigeria. I just mm. feel like that is where you really earn your stripes. I've never even been to Nigeria, even for like leisurely purposes. Um, so I have a ton of curiosities about mm-hmm. um, the country. If I'm not based there permanently, I definitely want to eventually at least tell, like, report a super long feature there. 
Um, Southern Africa appeals to me too. I have this inexplicable, with no real grounding to it, thing with Mozambique. Mm. I just feel like I need to go and see it. Because I speak Portuguese, girl. Yeah, that's also part of it. <laughs> Which leads me to... Okay. That's why. Yeah. Um, what? So that also comes from... I have this deep love affair with Brazil. Interesting. Yeah. And so after... I eventually want to go and report yeah. there too. Um, it just... I went there for vacation once. And that's actually partly how I ended up covering the Olympics. Because mm. after the vacation, I went to my boss and I was like... It was actually... It's kind of a funny story. Because I... At the beginning of 2016, so like a few months leading up to the Olympics, I had my review at work. And I was thinking, because BuzzFeed has an office in Sao Paulo, mm-hmm. so I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe I can pitch a story and they can send me to the Sao Paulo office and I can, you know, spend a couple weeks there reporting. At the time, there was um, the Black Lives Matter movement mm-hmm. was just catching steam in Brazil. So I'm coming into this meeting thinking I'm going to pitch something like a Black Lives Matter type of story. But what I said to my boss was, it would be great if we can think of like a big event that's happening in Brazil that we can sort of plan around because we know the exact dates and we can just plan to send me. And I'm thinking of Black Lives Matter, but she's like, why don't we just send you to the Olympics? And I was like, <laughs> ah, ah. I, I mean, I'm not going to say no, but in, I still to this day think that she was probably thinking that I didn't, that I just didn't want to say Olympics, mm-hmm. but secretly wanted it, but it was so far from my mind. So anyway, um, I love Brazil. Mm-hmm. I, there's just something in me that needs to not even get it out of my system, but just live that dream. Um, Similar to, this has also been a dream. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think after like five or seven years on the continent, I'd like to go to Brazil and report there too. Maybe five years in Brazil. I don't know. Because, you know, people... I think more often than not, you go to a place and you're thinking, okay, two years here and then I'm good. And mm-hmm. then you blink and it's been seven years and you're like, I'm a prize. I was going <laughs> more than six years now. See? And it, in, I'd imagine that it happens so easily and mm-hmm. without you... I mean, when you buy a fridge, that's when you're like, it's I real. can't ever leave anywhere if I bought a fridge. You know? I bought a washing machine and I'm like, oh shit, that just still caught real. <laughs> yeah. commitment. You know, I'm used to laundromats and yeah. just feeling like not fully attached to places. So yeah, I think that's my general plan. Um, I want to be on the continent for a pretty significant amount of time. Definitely need to make Brazil happen at some point. And then maybe I'll go back to the States. Maybe things will have settled down there <laughs> by yeah. then. Um, but I'm not in any kind of rush to go back to the States anytime soon. Is blackness important to you in terms of, I don't want to use the word thematically, but there is kind of that thread Mm -hmm. around black communities and black stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very important. Before I got hired at BuzzFeed, I was working on a website um, that would have served the purpose of bringing into conversation black Americans, Africans in the diaspora, and Africans on the continent um, to fill in a lot of these gaps that have been exposed partly by from movies like Black Panther Um, and that's that's also that's like on the list after Brazil Mm -hmm. Um, because I think by then I'll be ready to transition out of like reporting journalism Mm -hmm. and into something more entrepreneurial 
but it had like a name. I still pay for the domain, like because you I keep the name alive. You, 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 know? you know how many domains I own? Re- oh, oh, really? Girl, oh yeah. Oh, uh huh. Wow, that's so validating. Because every it. time the, the reminder Cut comes up, cards. I'm just like, <sighs> okay, it's another 1999. I'm like, yeah. oh, go daddy, damn you. Exactly, Bluehost for me. I'm just like, yeah. didn't I just pay? <laughs> <laughs> right, I keep getting <laughs> these reminders. Subscriber number five two six. It's time. I'm like, really? We just did it. I know. But when you have like twenty, like it's always it's, time to pay. So. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay, but it keeps the dream alive and it holds you accountable. <laughs> I have so many it's worth dreams. It. Yeah. Um, no, but that blackness is and for a long time has always been um, at the heart of my work and what drives a lot of my work. Um, Just because the, and it's changing, it's changed a lot actually um, with all these different um, digital publications. But I still think that when you look at conversations that are happening in WhatsApp groups and those like deep, deep talks that happen at like house parties where you're up until like three in the morning, Mm When you think about that kind of, because that's in the way content, mm-hmm. um, and then you think about the stories that are that you actually that become links to, you know, mm-hmm. like on websites, they're still it's like passing the world through the eye of a needle, you know. There's there's still so many stories to be told, um, and I think with this company, it's called Dia Stories, like stories of the diaspora mm-hmm. and dialogue also, but. Um, the goal was to sort of remove the, to the extent that you can remove like the Western white layer mm-hmm. that can filter a lot of things out. Um, it sort of answers the question of like, what would it look like for the diaspora to be in dialogue with itself mm-hmm. on its own terms? Um, and that's something that I am learning how to sort of refine through the work that I'm doing as mm-hmm. a journalist. Um, but yeah, it's something that I t- fully plan to return to. Hence my continued subscription to these, <laughs> to these domains. Listen, I'm not mad. I'm not mad at it at all. <laughs> at all. Uh, well, you are a listener. And by the way, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're not going to be surprised by this next segment because you've heard it before. Mm-hmm. But you know we do force... By force or by fire with mm-hmm. with our interview guests. So we have a few for you too. Okay. Uh, I will go first with uh, my usual question, and Namusa will follow. Still or sparkling? Definitely still. Oh, okay. That was a hard still. <laughs> I literally, I Namusa's, actually cringe. Namusa's judging you a little bit. I cringe when people. In fact, oh. like when I'm eating with someone, I like actively make sure that I'm the one to voice my opinion first so that I silence whatever sparkling might be coming <laughs> you're like still you don't mind still do you okay yes please still <laughs> wow she's like I'm living my truth whole thing about like Namusa shudder did I throw you off for sparklers <laughs> EAC or Ecowas in terms of men oh or partners Ecowas <laughs> why I think it's an exposure thing tell me more so like <laughs> in the US you're just more exposed in terms of communities to West Africans. And so I feel like I have a bigger pool of, and I, which says a lot because I live in East Africa now. Um, also, I think if you like, this is a growing theory, mm-hmm. but when I think about 
the transatlantic slave trade. I was just going to ask you that question. <laughs> I was like, interesting. Yeah. It's, I mean, in some ways, it goes back to slavery and the like proximity of cultures, I think. Mm. Um, and what you find attractive. Yeah, exactly. Even from like a phenotypical standpoint. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when I... I don't know if it's a justification or what, but when I think about it like that, it's like, oh, okay, it makes sense. Mm. Um, yeah. I gotta go with Ecowas. I'll take it. <laughs> T'Challa or Killmonger? Oh, damn. Killmonger. And He's wh- from... Why? We're both from the Bay Area. And so there's... Uh, so... Okay. Okay. Now, not my, not we're, Michael yeah, Bay. We're talking about the characters. You can talk about Chad. We can do Chadwick. No, but because Killmonger is from, from the Bay too. Yeah. I mean, he's like Wakandan American. <laughs> Wakandan American. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Michael B. J. is from Jersey originally. Michael B. J. But Ryan Coogler. Ryan Coogler no, is from the is Bay. From, yes, right. I'm pretty sure. Um, so as a kind of tangent, but in a way sort of explains this. Um, in Oakland, there is a very distinct kind of accent that black, a lot of black men have. So I don't know if you guys watch um, American football, but Marshawn Lynch, the like, I'm just here so I don't get fined uh-huh. guy. I, I don't. I but know you know who him he is. From, yeah, right. I don't watch football because me and the NFL, we, yeah, we're not talking anymore. Mm-hmm. But yes, mm-hmm. okay. Um, so if you ever hear an interview that he gives, he, Ryan Coogler, and I think as a result, Michael B. Jordan, all sound the same. And so there's this thing that happens when he speaks in, in the movie that just brings me back to, I didn't grow up in Oakland, but I, I grew up in the Bay Area. Um, it just brings me back to like the football players that I had a crush on in high school because they sounded, they spoke the same exact way. Mm. And I, I mean, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. I'm waiting on the, for the think piece about this. Um, but as opposed to like New York accents, Southern accents, even like Midwestern accents, we don't hear the Bay Area, the Black Bay Area accent. And I am so grateful to Ryan Coogler for putting it on the map mm-hmm. because it sounds so sexy. But um, even in terms of their specific characters, I just really appreciated um, how complicated Killmonger was, how much he made us confront certain things mm-hmm. about the continent and the diaspora, the conversations that have come up around him, whether he's good or bad, anti-hero or villain or hero secretly. Um, I think he was a bit more of a dynamic character, which is also attractive. I want to throw <laughs> that question to you as well. Oh. I'll answer too. Um, <clears throat> are we talking about politics or looks? It's, oh, there, there, yeah. There's no caveats. It was just pick one. I think people sleep on, on Chadwick. I know we're talking mm-hmm. about the characters now, but... I'd go with Killmonger. Okay. Do you know what my answer is going to be? No. A hundred percent T'Challa. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay, go on. I, I think it's connected to like... Uh, I would say I feel like I know more people in my life that would have... Either like experiences or identify with where T'Challa came from and mm-hmm. that like his journey, and therefore I understand that like kind of connected to a, more I identify more strongly with him, mm-hmm. and therefore and for me that's connected to attraction. Gotcha. Um, Wait, pause. Are you telling me that you have friends that are just like in royal families across the world? <laughs> like, who are these people that are relating to the story on a personal level? And why don't I know them? And do they have cousins? That or do you mean from a political standpoint in terms of what they think 
certain people's obligations are or both? Because I was hearing it more from that perspective. Mm, it's both. Okay. But you I'm have not, royal I'm family not, friends? I'm, not, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not I'm sorry. Wait, what? Yeah. Is this one of those like stay tuned for the next episode things where you pick up the conversation? Yeah, or? we will. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, I don't know, I don't I know what just happened, but all right. Tichal is like... Uh, you know T'Challa's in your... Yes. He, like, he feels like somebody I could be related to or that mm. I would want to um, procreate with. Okay. Wow. That was a jump. You know what, though? <laughs> you, do, you wear cable knit, so T'Challa <laughs> makes sense. Cable knit and loafers, that's a T'Challa move. That's but there's true. also something about like the T'Challa... Someone needs to make T'Challa and Killmonger starter pack memes. Like yes! if, they, if they existed ah. as real people, you know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Also, we even, need that. Even, like, the we deserve that. Yes. Even I feel story. like we could do that in this room, like almost right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that wouldn't be so hard. I have so much trying to say, but I'm going to save it. Okay. Uh, so we'll move to the oh, next one. Right. Um, on podcast because <laughs> we're modest, so we didn't include our <laughs> own in here. Would you rather listen to the read or another round? Oh, that's hard. And I know another round is a BuzzFeed, yeah. so like... <laughs> or ex-BuzzFeed. Yeah, True. ex-BuzzFeed. Still hard. So, oh, I have such a... The read was, I think, the first podcast that I mm-hmm. really listened to, like, mm-hmm. on a regular basis. So it, it has... for a lot of people. Yeah. You know? It has that special place in my heart... Almost like nostalgia. Where you're like, is. how are we talking about nostalgia in five years? But yeah. Right. That was like my first... That was when I first learned that it was possible for people, for us to exist in this space and talk about pop culture and politics and, and read people. Yeah. Um, but Another Round was... So, I remember listening to the very first episode of Another Round when it came out. I was at the gym, which was a huge mistake. You would, <laughs> you would think that I would learn from trying to like go on runs listening to the read that... That shit is just too funny. You can't yeah. breathe rhythmically <laughs> and be listening to a takedown of whatever, you know, Kim Kardashian did, whatever. But anyway, <laughs> I remember thinking um, about another round, and I think I tweeted it, that they eventually need to win a Nobel Peace Prize because they, what they were doing for women of color was so, it felt so revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. I'm going to go with another round. Okay. Okay. Uh, Insecure or Black Panther? Uh, We're giving you the hard ones. And if you think this is hard, the next one's going to be even harder. Oh, God! Okay! Ah! (gasps) Um, (laughs) I think I'm distressed. (laughs) Just a bit! Uh, I'm saying this purely for purposes of longevity, Insecure. Because Insecure is based on seasons. And Black Panther is like a two and a half hour situation. There will be a sequel though. Which we're all so excited about. I saw someone refer to it as Black Panther and Friends the other day. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which, accurate. That's amazing. No, but I mean Black Panther itself. Not even even Captain America. Like there will be... Oh, there will? Yes. Oh, okay. Signed it, I think. Really? I don't know if they signed it. I had no idea. They talked about it. Oh, I've only heard about the Captain America... Well, yes. Black Panther and Friends thing. Oh, okay. Will it be the same actors? I hope so. But think about how hard really... that must be to bring all those people into the 
If they're making I mean, the merchandise money, I'm sure true. they'll figure it out. That's true. That's <laughs> true. When is uh, the call sheet? Where do I go? Yeah. Because I can't imagine any of those people being played by anyone else at this point. But I think I'll... Mm, I think I'll still go with Insecure. Okay. It's, it's more of a feeling than anything else, so I can't even rationalize it. What did Insecure mean to you? So, the first... Probably the first half of the first season, one of my primary thoughts every time I watched it was, this is such an amazing love letter to California. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to the representation. Like, California is such an interesting state when it comes to blackness because there aren't that many of us. But California is also the site of so much cultural production in terms of media, mm-hmm. like movies and TV shows. Um, and even though I'm not from Southern California... The way that Issa and Molly would talk to each other, I was just like, this sounds exactly like walking through campus Mm -hmm. and just what you, the way that you hear people speak the same accents, the same type of vernacular, like the use of hella. Mm -hmm. Um, So it took, and and it goes back to that kind of, it feels like a warm hug Mm -hmm. with that kind of representation. Like, Mm -hmm. yes, okay, this is all, this feels even more real now because I'm seeing it. Um, And since then it's just been it's felt like the I think Insecure is actually a great example of paying attention to the conversations in the group chats and the mm-hmm. drunken 3am conversations at the house parties and the three hour long brunches with friends you haven't seen in a few months on screen mm-hmm. and I think that's what I love so much about it it's important and I think in season two they ended up bringing they they introduced a lot of actually like important topics that some of which sort of overlap a little bit with Black Panther um just widening the spectrum of blackness and yeah it's just important there's I don't think there's been a show in like the 21st century that has encapsulated um the, the experience quite so well and so f- humorously and in ways that just get you so invested in the characters. I mean, everyone pissed me off in season two, but I'm still invested in them, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like family. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm cringing for the next one because you okay. said it was going to be even harder. I am personally proud that I came up with this one. Okay. I'm proud of you too. And we are going off script slightly. Because, oh, shit. Um, we are? Oh, okay. Yeah, because we've never done one of these before. Okay. Uh, so, actually, I got this from another round. Okay. In one of their first couple of episodes, they had something called Mary Bleep. So, F-U-C-K. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> oh. Now I'm back to not swearing again or kill. Okay. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three names, mm-hmm. and you have to choose who you would marry, who you would let in close to your loins, and mm-hmm. who you would kill. Okay. That's a disapproving nod yes, Addy. No, I don't. Um, so, I'm just here so I don't get fined. <laughs> and we're repurposing some of the people from the old question. So, oh. MFK, Killmonger, Obama, <laughs> M'Baku. Hardest <laughs> question ever asked. M'Baku. My favorite. <laughs> I'll give you a second. It's really hard. We purposefully made it hard. The problem is, with bleeping or killing Obama, I feel like I could end up on somebody's blacklist. 
Like no, if I go the, on record saying that. The current folks who are in running that blacklist don't That's care. True. Don't That's win. true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, speak your truth. That was like eight years ago. Yeah, you're yeah, fine. Okay. You're fine. Okay. And again, the character is not the actors. Oh, right. Okay. So Obama is the only real human. To, right. Yeah. Okay. Mm, sorry, Michelle. We still want you to be a guest at some point. <laughs> uh, okay. That's my dream. Oh God! There's literally no way to say this that it is that I'm 100 comfortable with. None of the combinations. Um, Do you have ones that you know for sure would be one of those? E- okay, so <laughs> like, is there someone you're like for sure we're gonna get married, or you're dying? Yeah, or we're bleeping. I think I have to kill Obama. Okay. He would be my Mary. I mean. Me too. It's a game. It's not so harsh. And I say that because he... <laughs> I need a way to rationalize this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I won't be able to sleep at night if I don't. Um, he's already lived such a full life. Wow. And, gi- and given us a lot. And given us so much. He's the oldest of the three. Wow, you really thought about this. This is like the Titanic. Like, it's yeah. so hard. One of y'all got to go. Women and children only on the boats. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I think, Jack, I'll never let you go. And because, but if you could move off that piece, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and because he's Obama, I even think that he would be most okay with my decision. Okay. Michelle, on the other hand, yeah, I would. Have, I mean, it's it's something that I'll just have to deal with. Um. So Marion Bleep. I'm checking for goosebumps. <laughs> no, this is like yeah, anxiety it's not, it's sweat that's life. happening. <laughs> We're way past goosebumps. Goosebumps is usually like positive emotions. This is just stressing me out. Um, this is still hard. Okay. So M'Baku, on the one hand, has the whole vegetarian thing going for him. Mm. And royal kingdom. Right. It, true. Killmonger has the bad boy kind of but revolutionary and hot. I mean, they're both hella attractive, so that kind of neutralizes that. In terms of long-term partnership. I think maybe if you think about who will be alive the longest out of those two, oh, that might be a decision-making factor, but that's just <laughs> one, one way of thinking about it. That's because he would be my oh. Pole you got to go. Oh, okay. I think I would... Mm, I don't like this game, you guys. Okay. <laughs> and here on Africana, we force people to... I know. <laughs> make the tough decisions. Um, I would say... Mm, I think I would actually marry Killmonger. Okay. Because I like the idea of us like leading the revolution. Okay. I know he... Die. Well, do I have to base this on the fact that he dies in the book? No, bo- okay, cool. I was just... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you can lead the revolution together. Yeah. And then M'Baku... You would let M'Baku... It, it, yeah. The loin... The meeting of the loins. <laughs> up in the mountains, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Under that, like, quilt thing. Not the quilt thing, but, like... Never mind. <laughs> the animal that. hide. What about you, Namusa? Oh... Mine pretty straightforward. 
Um, marry Obama. Bleep Mbaku and get rid of Killmonger. Okay, so we we have so some. So I really like Killmonger's character, mm-hmm. but just in terms of like, I also okay. This is a really controversial thing that I'm about to say, but this is is good for everybody else in the world, including this person's partner. I don't find Michael Bay Jordan that attractive. Like he's attractive. Yeah. I get why everybody else thinks he's attractive. Yeah, but he doesn't do it for like my lines. So, mm. and even I mean, looking at Mbaku and Killmonger, it's like different types of attraction. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, everybody here is attractive. Like all of those three are attractive oh, yeah. for very different reasons. Totally. Adidana? Yes. Mine was actually very easy. I didn't. This was. It, was it didn't stress you. It you was, didn't get yeah, stressed. I did not get stressed. Like I did. It was really you interesting could to watch you. Bring out my shirt now. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting to watch you uh, freak Squirt. out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for me, I would. Well, let me say the first two, so I don't have to say the third, and I don't end up on any lists. Oh, F-U-L. see. Uh huh. Uh, then we know what it is. Exactly. So I would marry Mbaku. Okay. And Why? I would. I'll get there. I would marry him. I would make out with Killmonger. Sorry, is that what we oh, call we it can. now? <laughs> and then, and yeah, and yeah. The rest. Yeah, 44. <laughs> this is what I like. I don't want to be associated with you. <laughs> See? It's hard. But don't worry, I'd be married to him. True. Yeah. Sorry, why, but what, why M'Baku? Well, I, at first I did kind of go with the fact that Killmonger ends up dying. And I'm like, well, yeah. I don't want to marry someone that's not going to Spoiler around. alert. Go watch right. Black Panther. Oh, uh, right. Well, if you haven't watched it by now, I mean, it took me a week, but it's now been several. It's so. over a billion bucks. Like, you have to have seen this. Yeah. Um, so I was like, I don't want to be, like, what's the point? Um, I also liked how M'Baku showed up. I liked mm, the way he talked. He was very funny. He was kind of the... I don't know if the term is the ringer, but he was the surprise for me. Mm. I didn't, I didn't see that coming, mm. and I like being impressed and surprised by Fair. being impressed. Fair. So I appreciate that. I think um, Twitter felt that way too. Yeah, yeah. I was surprised. He was at the a breakout memes that, yeah that came out of yeah. that character. The Mbaku challenge. Exactly. And that kid With that little adorable. kid. Oh. I Mbaku. And then, <laughs> then you saw the response, right? I did. Yes. So, cute. so tears, adorable. Just tears streaming. See, this gave me a little bit of goosebumps. There you go. Yeah, and, and also the, that Mbaku and I are alums of the same school, which means our children legacies will, will be a lot know? easier to, like you know, to go to, I to mean, college. When you land, two alums like is better than one. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. He's a YSD alum, you know, or sorry, Yale School of Drama alum. I'm a forestry Yale College alum. The options are just We've endless. got options right. now, and we try to build... Build our legacy. So that's... And then have a building name after you. Exactly. There you go. Mbaku College. Yeah. <laughs> Mbaku, yeah. Yeah, he was, he, was the, he was by far the biggest surprise for me. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's a part of the reason. Okay. Yeah. And he was just so funny. So funny. And the accent. It was, well, it's basically Mbaku's Nigerian. Right. So Team Echoas right. as well. True. Again, coming and pulling through. I just want to say that my favorite character is Shuri, though. Same. I think I her and Mbaku were the two breakout, which says so much because it was a the most star-studded cast ever, ever. <laughs> of a film that was actually good. Because sometimes you get star-studded cast and it's like, did y'all just like, like downplay sixteen? Right? And like, how, how did here? this happen? Black excellence. There you go. But yeah, it and, says a lot to yeah. And Winston Duke is from Tobago, right? And Who's Winston Duke? That's the guy who plays Mbaku. Oh, the, the okay, yeah, 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 sorry. Mm-hmm. And, and then, Letitia Wright is also... From Guyana. Yeah. yeah. 
So, I but mean, grew up in the UK, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. But it's yeah. amazing. Just, yeah, it just the layers of blackness. It was beautiful. Even it, like in the film itself, and then you think about the actors who, yeah, it was great. Now I want to see it again. I need to see it a second time. <laughs> um, and probably a third. But that's it. We are no longer oh, going to... I thought you guys were going to be like, and now <laughs> no, the no. ultimate question. <laughs> no. Okay. I can uh, initiate my stopping No, no, no. This, this, this next question is super easy. Okay. No goosebumps involved. How can our listeners find you? Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't even know how to answer a simple question now. Um, so I'm on Twitter. At T-A-M-E-R-R-A underscore... Nicole, my middle name, but it's spelled N-I-K-O-L because mm-hmm. my mom was insistent on unique naming. I like it. <laughs> um, that's probably the easiest way. I'm also on Instagram by the same handle. Um, you have to request me there because it's not an open account, which I go back and forth on whether I want to ever change that. But those are the best ways to reach me. And if you're in Nairobi, you could find me probably... Actually, I don't know. Tri- I yeah, one of the trifectas, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the club triumvirate. There you go. Of Alchemist Brew and Jace. Yes. And your work, Google BuzzFeed in your name? Yeah, easiest way. Um, if you want to be all URL savvy, buzzfeed.com slash news slash world. Or, actually this is even easier, buzzfeed.com slash Tamara, T-A-M-E-R-R-A, Griffin, G-R-I-F-F-I-N. And then you'll see everything I've ever written. And we'll put all those links and more in our description. Much appreciated. You were such a pleasure. This was great. I forgot that we were recording anything for a second. Yes. Thanks so much. That's the best way to do it. Thank you so much. Again, still feel like I was invited to the Cool Kids table at lunch. This has been (laughs) the highlight of my, at least my week, if not the year. This was great. Thank Thank you. And thank you for listening and supporting and for joining us. We know you're busy and you're running around, so we appreciate it. No, this was truly really great. I love what you guys are doing, and it's I feel very fortunate to be part of the conversation now. It's time for Proverb of the Week. Week, 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 week. week. Not like your arms, because you're working out. Well, it's been two weeks, but I'm getting back in it. I feel like the listeners are really on this, like... And our our next set of guests, I really have to get back on it. Just dropping some... Teasers out there. You know what? what? I, I need, need to listen to this epi- the next episode. This I, one too. I need to do squats again. That's how you get an ass. I have. I don't have one anymore. It's mm. gone. Gone, yeah. baby, you're gone. <laughs> no, it's gone. What's the proper? Girl, you're gone, baby, girl, you. No, really, like I do not have a butt anymore. Inconvenient truth. Inconvenient. I was so sad. Probably. I mean, I didn't really have much. Oh, no, that's not true. When I had more weight on me, I definitely had one. And then even when I lost some of it, I still have one. But now I, I don't have will solve any. all your life problems like coconut Oof, oil. That is so painful. Okay, well, if I could hike it almost 4,000 If 4, you can do any kinds of challenges, you can yeah, definitely do a squat challenge. Squats. Start with one tomorrow. Oh, Lord. But okay. before you go into your squat challenge, 100 day, because I've claimed it. Um, what's the proverb of the week, 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 week? I, my quote slash proverb of the week, 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 alludes to our Africa still rising. Hmm. Um, and I know we did a bit of talking about Wakanda and Black Panther. Forever. Uh, by the way, recently, you know, Saudi Arabia, what they just decided? No, but it's going to be some, tell me. I don't know if my heart should get excited or also get. No, it's actually positive, but okay. I'm super con- like confused because yeah. I didn't expect this. Um, but Saudi Arabia is lifting its 35-year ban on movie theaters by screening 
Black Panther for a few weeks. Amen. <laughs> I... Yeah. Who knew? Wakanda forever. You, you cannot ignore excellence, my friends. Yeah, I was shocked. You really think we're going to attribute this to Rihanna? <laughs> Is she still dating that guy? I don't know. That's actually a good question. Well, women got the right to drive, and now Wakanda's showing. I know. And mm-hmm. I was like... And Coincidence? I Unclear. So AMC, which is a major yeah. um, movie, theater. movie theater chain in North America, I want to say in the United States. And in Canada. They are opening 40 movie theaters in Saudi Arabia. Hey. And this is a part... Air condition on 100. Yeah. And so this is a part of that. And not to mention that in addition to um, this... In addition to the... the What's it called? These new movie theaters and Black Panther, they're going to show the Avengers movie... After, they'll screen that after Black Directly Panther. Directly after? Exactly. Okay. And I was shocked. As a con- country As- that is seen to have not necessarily been progressive in all of the ways, in some of the ways Saudi Arabia is very progressive. And not even that. In terms of the relationship to the pox, pox, oh, or yeah, people yeah. of color yeah. in the Middle East, there's been some pretty not-so-great stories. Mm. I was surprised that the first movie they chose was Black Panther, because I would have just thought they would skip straight to the Avengers, if you ask me. But You, just, you can't ignore excellence, though. Well, yeah. highest grossing comic book movie of all time. And I still need to watch it a second time. Me yeah. too. Let's go. Um, but yes, my, sorry, that was a long way of saying my proverb of the week comes from the great nation of Wakanda, which let's be honest, Wakanda is really Ethiopia because what else hasn't been colonized? Ethiopia. Okay, mm, now, now that we're all on the I, same page, ah, uh-uh, skirt, skirt, my turn. <laughs> you can talk for your proverb of the week next time. <laughs> they're all, they're, from here on out, they're going to be Wakanda proverbs. Um... So my quote comes from the one, the only, uh, Iyasu Killmonger, mm. or Killmonger. <laughs> um, and the proverb of the week is, how do you think your ancestors got these? Do you think they paid a fair price? Or did they take it like they took everything else? Sips coffee and then dies. Sips buna. You see, we already have the tools. I'm... There you go. And on that note, how do people find us? Well, there are a variety of ways. Uh, if you're on the Twitters, it is at Africana. Yeah, at Africana. If it is on Facebook, it is at Africana Podcast. If it's on Instagram, it is at Africana. Um, if you want to send us a DM, a thirst trap, or whatever, um, askafricana.com. Uh, A-F- <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Dang it. That's the wine talking. <laughs> A-F-R-A-C-A-N-A-H. Uh, askafricana.com. Um, but yes, we know it's been a while. We shouldn't have left you without a dope podcast to listen to. But you're about to get this content fresh in your ears. And we thank you for your patience as we've dealt with work stuff and health stuff and, and all that good stuff. And as a thank you for listening all the way through, you're going to be the first person, well, one of the first people to know, the first person in your, your life at least, that we have a massive announcement to make. I'm ready. Tell them. If you are in the greater Nairobi area, <laughs> we are having our next live show. Bruh, 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 bruh. Uh, more information will come out about that shortly. We're making it a little bit exclusive because that's what we... Exclusive yes. is exclusive for exclusive. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Tiz. Yeah. Uh, I'm just saying not everybody speaks your lingo, that's all. True. You are the cultural translator for me. Um, So there will only be 50 tickets. We will let you know through our social media when those tickets are going to go on sale, but there will only be 50. 
So get them as soon as you can. If you're coming from Lagos, because we have an ECOWAS supporting unit. Hey. We have a Southern African supporting unit. We have the Diaspora supporting unit. We have our EAC. I'm sure there's people in Central African Republic who also will be there. There will only be 50 tickets. Don't tell me I didn't tell you. So have keep your eyes peeled on our social media and we will announce when those will be for sale because we'd love to see you. Also, another announcement, our episode or live, rather live show name title to get you guys excited. Namusa doesn't even know this. I don't even know this. This is like so brand new. I don't even This know. was decided when I was in Gunder and we were talking about various conversations because it happened to be a few Nairobi people on the trip by accident and on purpose. Nairobi burn book. Woo-hoo. So, bring your dating stories. Do you know what else I can also Leave say? Leave the names at the door. Yes. There may or may not be a very, very, very special guest in addition to us. Get out. May or may not. Okay. I didn't even know this. Get we're your just, tickets. We're just surprising Only each 50. other. Content-wise. Social media. But now we're going to be hitting you with the content. But now, you know, get ready stay so you ready. don't have to stay ready. Or stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Is that what people say? That's what people say. That's what I say. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Beyonce. Is um, but yeah. Have a wonderful, wonderful day wherever you are. And And thank you for listening. Do something that makes your heart happy because life is short. But also pay your taxes because they will find you. Bye. Bye. Bye.